first, a word from our sponsor, Film Movement Plus, a streaming service for fans of independent and foreign film, delivers a world of award-winning entertainment, including some of the best movies from prestigious festivals around the globe. Among the hundreds of titles waiting for you to discover are acclaimed films you won't find anywhere else, plus newly restored classics and award-winning shorts with new films added every week. Available on all your favorite devices, including Roku, Apple TV, and Amazon Fire, Film Movement Plus is priced at $5.99 a month. But Watch With Jen listeners can get a 14-day free trial, plus 30% off their annual subscription using the promo code GEN30. Sign up today at filmmovementplus.com. Hey, this is Jen Johans at filmintuition.com and filmintuition on social media and Letterboxd. And this is Watch With Jen. Welcome to the third episode of season three, or I guess you could call it three, three in two, two, which probably looks way cooler on the page than it sounds in your ears. So I want to thank you for humoring me all the same. In case you're just tuning in, the season started off with a bang with the release of one of my favorite episodes so far, my buddy Sean, aka Blacktop Wasteland and Razorblade Tears, author S.A. Cosby returned for his fourth visit so far, and we went deep on the beautiful losers, boxers, and hitmen of the filmography of John Houston. Then we lightened things up with a fun Gen X-friendly episode on the run of babysitting movies released in the late 80s and early 90s from Touchstone Pictures and MTV Films with Variety critic and journalist Courtney Howard. And making good on a promise that I made earlier in the year, I wanted to go ahead and give you a sneak preview of sorts of some of the guests and themes that you can expect to hear soon on Watch with Jen and more are being added nearly every day, it seems. So please stay tuned. Okay, coming up, you will hear writer-director Duncan Birmingham on 1970s-era Hal Ashby, film critic and author Dana Stevens on Buster Keaton and Friends, podcaster and critic Blake Howard, on underrated James Caan movies, podcaster and critic Rachel Wagner on 90s laugh-out-loud funny rom-coms, The Blacklist, Kate Hagen, and filmmaker Allison Anders on Anders' Gas Food Lodging, which is turning 30 this year, film critic Noah Gattel on Steve Martin in the 80s, podcaster and Letterboxd senior editor Mitchell Beaupre on Jim Jarmusch across the decades, film writer Ibilga Ibiri on Colin Farrell, crime writer Nikki Dolson on women in crime movies, author Megan Abbott on Billy Wilder, film critic Sheila O'Malley on Pre-Code Pictures Part 2, film critic and now TV critic Ed Vulture, Roxana Haddadi, on Almodovar's Moms, actor James Urbaniak on Faye Dunaway, Halton Catchfire showrunner Chris Cantwell and his wife, the scholar and poet Elizabeth Cantwell on Roy Scheider, critic Diana Drum on Sinister Men Part 2, 
theater director and author Isaac Butler on method acting, crime writer and screenwriter Jordan Harper in an episode we are tentatively calling Murder Can Be Fun. Filmmaker Ben David Grabinski will be back along with filmmaker Jessica Ellis and critics Candace Frederick, Kristen Lopez, and many more who are still kicking around theme ideas. This is just a small sampling of who you can expect to hear in the coming months. And I can't wait to add more onto the list. So do stay tuned for that. You can follow me on social or join us on Patreon to get all of the news there as soon as I have it for you. But without further ado, let's dive into the world of Terriers. In addition to being a very good friend and an insanely knowledgeable lover of crime, film, and fiction, one of my favorite things about having Jedediah Ayers back on the podcast is that for roughly five seconds, when I tell you the names of the novels he's written, like Peckerwood and Fierce Bitches, I get to sound like a total badass. Also, the man behind the terrific blog, Hardboiled Wonderland, which I've been fortunate enough to contribute to on occasion, there's nobody better suited to breaking down the building blocks, unforgettable characters, and ingenious twists of the whodunit genre than Mr. Ayers. Jed, thank you so much for being here today. How are you doing and how's 2022 treating you so far? Uh, Thanks for having me. I love being on here and because you let me talk about pretty much whatever I want and you're very supportive and I appreciate that about you. Uh, <laughs> of course. 2022 is off to uh, a pretty, pretty decent start. Actually. Uh, it's my birthday in January and then it's my anniversary this weekend. And so like all the good stuff is front loaded into the year. And yes. Uh, but I did spend an hour uh, digging my car out of the snow this morning and oh, uh, no. it's been snowed out. Uh, home from school for the last three days. So, wow. Um, so are they going a, stir crazy in the house yeah. or are they? Yeah. It's a little bit. We're going to go see Jackass today. That's uh very that's cool. Our, our anniversary weekend family. I love it. <laughs> trip that'll, that'll break us all out of our doldrums. Yes. Oh, that's exciting. Well, as social media followers and longtime listeners, by this point, are well aware. Since the summer of 2020, Jed and I have taken part in a weekly pandemic movie club, along with our dear friends, screenwriter, novelist, Jordan Harper, film essayist, Travis Woods, and critic and podcaster, Blake Howard. Each week, we take turns selecting a film that we all watch on our own and talk about. And the one very loose rule of our very loose club is that somehow each title has to be related to crime or as in the case of last week's Jordan pick Penn and Teller get killed at least tangentially somehow it's been a lot of fun and our discussions frequently go off topic and every week I seem to leave with about a dozen books movies tv and music that I need to either check out for the first time or revisit The reason I'm telling you all this is because today's theme was born out of one of these great unwieldy discussions when almost exactly one year ago, out of nowhere, Jed recommended the 2010 FX one season wonder series Terriers to me. I'm so glad he did because I distinctly remember that I logged off Zoom, started to cook dinner while pushing play on Hulu 
and immediately became hooked on this endlessly clever and quotable knockout of a show, a series that I remember Jed describing as the best show with the worst marketing, including weird ads with barking dogs that I vaguely remember being completely baffled by. Carriers is a comedic, character-driven SoCal neo-noir created by Ocean's Eleven and Matchstick Men screenwriter Ted Griffin that he's described as sort of a detective show cross between Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid and Don Quixote. Dub Terriers, when Griffin noted, he probably couldn't get the rights to Hey Bulldog by the Beatles in order to pay tribute to his scrappy, relentless main characters. The series features the affably charming duo of real-life friends Donald Logue and Michael Raymond James as a pair of unlicensed San Diego private eyes named Hank Dolworth and Britt Pollock, respectively, who stumble on a conspiracy of Chinatown proportions over the course of 13 fast-paced episodes. More Elliot Gould's version of Philip Marlowe and Robert Altman's The Long Goodbye than the one played by Bogart in The Big Sleep. Terriers is as intricate and convoluted of a puzzle as one of Raymond Chandler or Dashiell Hammett's novels, but it's also a whole lot of fun to boot. Part of a larger ensemble cast that also includes Laura Allen, Kimberly Quinn, Jamie Denbo, Rockman Dunbar, Lauren Dean, and Karina Loeb, Donald's sister playing his sister here and stealing every scene she's in. The series, which Griffin produced with The Shield's Sean Ryan, boasted such great noir directors as Brick, Knives Out, and Looper filmmaker Ryan Johnson, The Last Seduction, Kill Me Again, and my personal favorite, Red Rock West director John Dahl, plus great actor-turned-versatile TV director Adam Arkin and more. And in addition to Griffin and Ryan in the writer's room, Terriers was penned by the truly inventive crew of Nicholas Griffin, Tim Minear, Leslie Headland, Angela King, John Worley, Judd Seidel, Fief Sutton, and Kelly Wheeler. Obviously, there's a lot to get to with this series and many directions to go in. But Jed, I would love to start by asking you your relationship to the series and why it stood out to you. Well, I remember when it came out uh, in 2010, I was uh, excited about it. I saw some some ads. I thought, oh, that looks right up my alley. But the main attraction to it really was, was Sean Ryan. I was a huge, huge fan of The Shield. And uh, I, I wanted to see... I wanted to see his show. Um, I I don't have cable. I never have had cable, so uh, mm-hmm. I've always re- I've always had to wait for for things to come out on DVD uh, or um, streaming platforms. At the time, I didn't even have the internet. Uh, okay. So um, it was years later that I had the internet and had. Uh, it never came out on DVD. So I was, I was waiting all this time. Did it? Or never? Something. Wow. No. So oh. it's, you know, I, I would always get it from the, from the library or from a Netflix DVD subscription, but um, yeah, never came out. So I had to wait and wait. And I finally got, got internet service and uh, started uh, subscribing to Netflix and, and uh, where it was when I first saw it. And um, you know, by that time it had already, been canceled clearly and uh, I was disappointed and I was a little bit leary of starting it because I knew it was canceled and um, yeah and you don't know where it ends up right I was a little afraid it was going to waste my time um, (laughs) 
you know, getting invested in something that, that didn't get to conclude. But I was very happily surprised yes. that it was a perfect season. And, it, I, you know, I, mean, I was just baffled, just absolutely baffled on how this could be canceled. Um, I know. And, and, and I, I agree that the marketing was terrible and reading all the uh, all the uh, interviews and, and things with with people involved with the show. They all seem to blame the name of the show, but I don't get that at all. I love the name Terriers. Uh, I get it right away. Uh, but I mean, what's so hard to market about an ex-cop and an ex-criminal started detective agency? I don't. You know, yeah, on the beach. Yes, I love it. That's a uh, yeah. That's not that's not hard. Um, but I got through. I, I got over my disappointment and my my uh, reluctance. I got the internet. I watched it. I loved it. I watched it again. I watched it again. <laughs> I get that gunfight epiphany by Robert Duncan song stuck in my the head. Best theme song. Yes. Yeah, I whistle that all the time. My wife always knows. Oh, it's time for you to start watching Terriers again. Yeah, because, uh, Trickster and you... a Javelin Man. I mean, the lyrics are perfect. <laughs> and just the the hook, the whistling yeah. and the drums. Yes. Yeah, it's it's pretty, pretty great. It's one of the least embarrassing songs that when I do, if I ever write fiction again uh, mm-hmm. in the past, uh, I have spent you know, uh, some of my most productive times listening to a particular song on endless repeat while I write. And that that's one of them. And that is probably the least embarrassing one. Uh, that you can that listen to lyrics while you write. That just blows my mind. Cause I can't, well, let, me, let me just tell you, I have no idea what the lyrics to the so- song are. Okay. I can sing, I can sing two or three. Okay. <laughs> That's good. I don't know what the lyrics are. I'm so you not just kind of phase it out. Yeah. It's just a, it's just an amazing catchy. Tune. Yeah, it's very catchy. I love it. Um, I don't know what the lyrics are, but yeah. yeah. What's so hard to market about uh, this show? I don't, I don't know. Um, yeah, basically I, I what we're saying is great. FX called Jed. He's got this in the bag. No, I'm just kidding. But yeah, absolutely. No, it is so much fun. I think you said you watch it every year or so pretty much it's yeah. not like like i've got a schedule but uh no. i have you know i i now that i've got internet service i still call yeah. it the internet which tells you how uh <laughs> the worldwide antiquated web. Yes. i am yeah i mean no. I sometimes refer to it as the net mm-hmm. um uh, I, i'm someone who will drop a streaming service and pick up another based on you know, like it's not on Netflix anymore. It's on Hulu. So I picked up Hulu to, yeah. get, uh, to get Terriers. So, um, yeah, I keep doing that. Uh, and I keep thinking that, it, you know, maybe there will be a, a second season somewhere or uh, a film or my God, like I'd love to write some fan fiction uh, tie-ins. Yes. You, know, um, you could do a comic hit book. Hit me up, something. Ted, yeah. Sean, whoever. Yeah. No, uh, absolutely. not that, you know, I mean, the show was populated with great writers who also write books too. So uh, that's, of course, yeah, it could be a spinoff better. book series. I know they did that with Lee Goldberg and Monk and mm, a few shows yeah. like that. And I know um, Chris Cantwell of Halt and Catch Fire, who I had on the podcast last year is now doing Angel. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. But he's actually, I love the idea. I can't wait to pick it up. 
it is like Angel as set in what if Angel was a TV show or detective show or something. So he's like in the Rockford files. I don't know. That's how Chris pitched it. And I was like, I need to check that out. Yeah. yeah it sounds like those Charlie Houston vampire detective books, but uh, yeah. <laughs> yes. No, so much fun. Perhaps a great starting point would be with the show's pilot, which is clever in the way that it both falls back on and subverts noir detective show staples, like a missing person's case, establishing our first main villain who par for the genre is a wealthy, privileged narcissist with connections Hints at darker, more complex backstories for Hank and Britt, works in the women in their lives, aka their kryptonite and raison d'etre, and more. I know you're a big spot the influences and connect the dots guys. So Jed, go wild. What are your thoughts on how Terriers kicks everything off and brings us into this world? You know, I will say I'm a crime crime fan i love crime and when you uh as a as a genre um i'm fascinated by certain aspects of of real life but as far as a narrative um form crimes absolutely my favorite but when you say that to people most most people think i'm really into serial killers or um procedurals uh or you know that's i mean yeah there's some i like but that's mm-hmm. really not what draws me what draws me uh to crime is uh usually desperate people yes. um making people, bad decisions and people living yeah. out making bad decisions or desperate people making very uh innovative decisions yeah. which i think is what uh terriers does now it throws in a lot some terrible decisions too but um but right off it's a crime show these guys are PIs, but their job is not, they don't solve crimes. They commit crimes occasionally, minor yeah. crimes, uh, <laughs> but they don't solve crimes. They, uh, they're hired to, you know, find people to serve, uh, serve um, uh, subpoenas or, mm-hmm. you know, um, but they, uh, they're at the beginning, they're kidnapping a dog. You know, there's a there's a custody. It is the best way to introduce them. Oh my god! Right. Yes. So they're they're kidnapping a dog, and it turns out they're not even being paid money for it, no. which is an, a running theme <laughs> in terriers. And I think it really resonates because these guys are uh, economic underdogs as yeah. well as you know societal underdogs. They're not very integrated into society. And you mentioned the. Uh, Robert Linda's character being, you know, a wealthy uh, guy. And I love that throughout the show, anybody who's wealthy falls under an immediate shroud yes. of uh, suspicion. Very suspicious. And usually, yes. usually uh, for good reason. Uh, there's a couple good examples of them being absolutely wrong in their, uh, their suspicions of, uh, mm-hmm of these people but um but usually that's a, it's a pretty good instinct but Brit and hank right from the start they're they're snatching a dog uh for a you know a contentious uh breakup a couple mm-hmm. who are no longer uh no longer together are um contesting who who gets the dog and uh they 
they're uh, getting the dog and it turns out that the woman who has hired them to do this is paying them. She's a dry cleaner and yes. she's paying them in free dry cleaning, free dry cleaning for two weeks. And as uh, what can you possibly have to be dry? Cleaning? Out, Love it. Right. What nothing that they have could be, but <laughs> we find out later in the episode, Brit has bartered uh, yeah. this fancy restaurant meal with his uh his girlfriend who he's very serious about um he takes her out for a, a nice date and, and you know she mentions hey you know we can't afford this and he's yeah. like yeah of course we can and he uh he collects at the end of the meal collects all the um napkins and tablecloths from the restaurant and takes them to go get uh cleaned um <laughs> it's, it's <laughs> which just is just a wonderful brilliant. thing yeah. yeah and so throughout the show they're trading um services it's, it's kind of a barter uh system yeah. of a detective agency that and it's telling i think that throughout the show whenever they get paid money it's usually by people Corrupt. who have money mm-hmm. yeah uh and and the 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 amounts they get paid sound stupendous to them mm-hmm. and trivial to those who are paying it so uh i i do think that it's a really delightful look at um, uh, the the sort of um, people who are who are uh, clearly they're intelligent enough to uh, to figure things out um, uh, and to to take what they have and make it work for them. Um, and money is almost never the thing that. No, <laughs> they they use to solve any any problem. That's a really great observation. And kind of money, as you brought up, has this like shady connotation to it. Whenever money is involved, it's with Lindis or people who are doing kind of deceitful things, shall we say. Yeah. And uh, when they're bartering services, they're just in it for um, human reasons, kind of like when they help out an amnesiac kid, sort of just they sort of take people under their wing or they adopt people. And it, it goes a long way to establishing who these guys are as people. I love that. I mean, there's always the thing in detective shows with the shady rich people, like in Columbo, he was always kind of butting heads. He was, you know, wrinkled and in the coat and he was butting heads with his bad car, kind of like they have a bad truck with the very idle rich who are, you know, absolutely corrupt. And that show, of course, was more concerned with how they did it and how he's going to catch them. It was how catch them as they described it. This show is not about that at all. It's kind of about the process and what it reveals to us about these people. It's very character driven. I love that. I also love that the pilot uh, establishes their friendship and you immediately buy it. It kind of begins with sort of banal dialogue, like, you know, loan me a thousand dollars. Okay. You know, I need towels. You know, it's, it's like a throwaway line. Uh, There it's a very funny show, but it isn't pitching jokes at us and like waiting for us to laugh. It's kind of funny accidentally or funny in the way that conversations with good friends are. And I think that's hard to write and works so well in, um, Hank and Britt's relationship and benefits so much from uh, Donal and Michael Raymond James, who are just phenomenal. Absolutely. Their, um, their patter sounds so effortless. Yes. Um, and obviously that's 
a lot of that is 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 Ted Griffin, who yeah. you know, if you watch Ocean's Eleven or I mean, uh, Matchstick Man, it, it's um, it's clearly something he does really well. But you can watch other films based on mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> on scripts by him and find that oh, you know, the quality of the director or the performer. Or it was rewritten too much. Yeah, but it makes a huge difference in how this goes over. And there's something so naturalistic. I mean, I I like Ocean's Eleven, but it's very stylized, very stylized. It is. And you can hear the setup and you can hear the punt. You know, it it doesn't take away from the the enjoyment of the great dialogue. But uh, but this is, yeah, they have uh, such naturalistic uh, rhythm and uh, delivery. I have actually loved that late in the season uh, as their relationship has become extremely strained. Yeah. Um, you know, you can, you can mark how well they're doing as a couple and they really are. They're a couple. Yes. You can mark how, how well they're doing as a couple by how much the other is laughing. Um, oh, that's a beautiful observation. Keep, yeah. They keep throwing, you know, they, they keep, throwing the patter but it's not landing they're not mm-hmm. you know nobody's got, and then the moment you know that things are good between them again is when they get the news Britt tells hank oh they put an apb out on you and he said they put PB a pb and, and j and up and michael raymond james Britt oh cracks up at that yes. moment and it's like you know everything's good with Britt and hank then you know it's been a long yeah, they've got some stuff to work through, but they're going to be good. You know it now because they're laughing at each other again. Yeah, no, that's great. Also, um, you know, when Hank is helping Britt move out, they didn't do a lot of talking, uh, mm-hmm. not even really looking at each other very much. And so, yeah, we need that laughter. We need the dynamic. You mentioned, um, you know, Ted Griffin's past writing. I watched Mass Sick Men again this week. I love that movie. I actually, like years ago, I, through the Scottsdale Library, curated and uh, hosted a screening series. And kind of my excuse was to get everybody into like my favorite character actors, which is definitely my thing. And so for you know, this one, I chose Sam Rockwell, who's one of my favorites. And I went with Matchstick Men. And when I watched it the other night, I almost thought like, I mean, it was based on a book by somebody else. It was written by Ted. Eric and, Garcia. Yes, Nicholas Griffin. But you can almost see it as a dry run for Hank and Britt a little bit, especially uh, the Rockwell character gives off a very Brit-like vibe. And um, yeah. I just love it. Yeah. I, I, I think that's a great reason to uh you reminded me of, of why i think terriers is a fantastic title for the show because those two hank and Britt, are such they're they absolutely uh seem like dogs their relationship like hank is, <laughs> is, is, is this sort of more soulful kind of uh uh hound dog you know a little droopy a little whatever and Britt is such an excitable, lovable puppy. Yes. You know, that, that scene in the, in the, in the pilot where they're, they need to get into Lindis's uh, property, his gated property. And they use the dog they just kidnapped uh, as a, again, another example of using what you got because uh, you don't have money. You don't have the thing yes. that people usually use to solve their problems. 
they've got this dog that they didn't have 10 minutes ago, Mm -hmm. Uh, but now they have a dog and they, they squeeze the dog through the bars and then, you know, punch in the the, Mm -hmm. uh, code that, uh, Hey, uh, my dog got onto your property and I need to come in and get it. So the gate opens and Hank goes through the gate. Brit though, climbs he scales the wall yes. and jumps over and he, An important he's difference. so proud of himself yes as he he just he looks like a, a little a kid very pleased puppy dog just kind yeah. of wagging his tail <laughs> doing circles around around the older uh less excitable dog um so yeah i think terriers is a fantastic title uh again i'll probably say that several times but That's okay. um yeah it, it really does boil down the appeal of the show, which is excellent on many, many levels, really does start with and end with the chemistry between the leads. Um, it's, it, it's that thing that you can't, you can't really. Uh, yeah. It lives and dies by that most series. Yeah. And um, it was helpful. And I think it kind of freaked out everybody involved that uh, Donal Logue and Michael Raymond James actually shared like a one bedroom um place in san diego instead of staying at a hotel with the money that they had for living expenses it's like well it's too expensive to do that let's just share a place and it kind of freaked everyone i guess out at fx like oh no our leads are living together there's going to be fights or whatever uh but they were you know basically brothers at that point so they would go uh, do the show like 13 hour days come home and then run lines, even running lines of scenes they weren't in together. So I saw an interview like, yeah, I played Katie a few times, you know, at home. And, you know, he played Gretchen, that kind of thing. And yeah, I think the show really benefits from that. Absolutely. But obviously, as crazy as I am about the mystery and trying to untie and then piece together all of the strands in the knotted Mickey Gosney case, my favorite thing about the show is as we've been talking about its characters, all of its characters, and the way that their evolving dynamics tell us so much about all of them. So talk to me about the people who populate this world, the actors that bring them to life, and any character-defining moments that captivated you. Hmm. Wow. Well, everybody's good. Um, yeah. <laughs> be a little... Uh, a, a little remiss at my inability to remember some of the, the actors' names. Um, oh, you're fine. You know, Donald Logue was somebody that I knew going in. Um, you know, he, uh, I probably first recognized him and took note of him in Blade, uh, which, okay. you know, his, his uh, naughty vampire god uh, line uh, is is a thing of, of wonder. Um you know, not anybody could just deliver that line and, and <laughs> really sell it the way he does. But uh, Naughty Vampire Gods definitely made me sit up and take notice of Donald Logue. Um, so I knew his name, you know, from uh, seeing, you know, the Tao of Steve. And I um, think that was the one for me. Of his. Yeah. yeah and then the I remembered yeah. seeing like, you know, sneakers uh, in the theater because Jed and I are old. And I also remember him for like two minutes in Jerry Maguire in a scene. I'm like, oh, yeah, I know that guy. And then the Tao of Steve, I remember I made my brother drive like, you know, way the hell on the other side of Minneapolis. It was like 90 minutes away. 
I think I pitched it to him like, oh yeah, it did well at uh, Sundance. It's kind of like swingers and it starts and he's talking about philosophy. And my brother like looked at me like, what did you make me see? But he wound up loving it. Thank you. Okay. He's not a stew. He's a Steve. He's not a stew. He's a Steve. Yeah. Okay, good. (laughs) Good, good to know. But uh, yeah, everybody uh, in the cast, it was a very well cast show and getting down even to the, you know, the, the really bit players. um, Oh God. Fantastic. uh, Fantastic folks um, faces and, and um, little characters uh, populating ocean beach, which I had to look up ocean beach sounded like a generic TV name for a, a fictional yeah, setting for me. Yeah, I looked it up. Real place, did you know? I didn't yeah. know, now I know. Oh, I uh, love San Diego. It's like my favorite place to go on vacation and I'm way overdue for one. So watching this, like, man, I need to get back out to San Diego. Yes, get back out uh, to Ocean Beach, look for Hank and Britt and hang out. Yes. Um, Karina Logue, you know, I did not realize she was uh, a Logue. Um, I didn't, uh, didn't, Pay enough attention to the opening I credits. I her. But oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, talk about built-in chemistry. Um, that scene where uh, she and Hank are um, uh, quoting their mother. It's uh, <laughs> so good. Talk, talking about, uh, yeah, all the nice sacrifice and no one's throwing mm-hmm. me a parade or something like that. It made me wonder, you know, how much, I mean, that was probably written. It probably wasn't them. You can Actually, relate to yeah, certain things on, their, on some level. Their childhood, but yeah. Uh, yeah, it was like, it seemed very naturalistic and very, very um, real. I love the moment between them in that same scene where um, they're, they're giving each other shit and, and, and Hank says, I do two things. Well, yes. the other thing and make you cry. And, yeah. Uh, so good. That's, and I saw yeah, you that, make that. It just seems like a sweet. line they show. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. It's a great line. Uh, yeah. But they, they uh they they sell it like uh like this is something they've said to each other over and over again uh, i know for it, decades, so. she is so good too in some of her like bit scenes um with the actress uh, that plays katie who's amazing mm-hmm. um and the scene where they're doing scrabble and she uses a word and like, but I thought it, you went to college. Yeah, I go to vet school. And it's it's just the craziest word. It doesn't have a, it's a Q word without a U. And it just says so much about her. Like she's, you know, just blunt. She might be slightly on the spectrum. Uh, it's an amazing scene. Laura Allen as Katie Nichols, I thought is just, I loved her the first time around, but watching this, Jed and I both watched the series again, like twice in the last couple of weeks. We take this seriously, basically. No, I'm just kidding, <laughs> but we do. But, um, and it's just a fun as hell show, but we watched it again and oh my goodness, Laura Allen is great. I guess she had a background in sociology and like counseling or working with domestic abuse um, victims uh, associated with the NYPD, if if her Wikipedia, you know, biography can be believed and who the hell knows who writes those things, but you can see her empathy. She is just very natural. I love her chemistry with uh, Michael Raymond James. And I also appreciate her relationship with Donald Logue, um, which is very different. Like, I feel like she knows more about the Gretchen um, situation, possibly. She knows more about Steph. Like she knew the rules with the sharp objects. Mm-hmm. Uh, Britt didn't really know those off the bat. Um, I think, you know, it's 
basically like no reading Proust. Yeah, and no Proust. (laughs) You can read Proust (laughs) this time. You know, Proust, he sets everyone off. No, just kidding. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, I think it's vital. And it also harks to how with certain friends as a group, you might not share key things, but then a couple of them privately might feel closer to and tell more intimate stories. And I feel like Donal has that relationship uh, with Katie and it's very nice. There's no hint of, you know, Butch Cassidy is kind of the dynamic between Hank and Britt, but there's no, um, he's not going to take Katie on a bicycle and try to steal her away. He's more of a brother to her. And I love that. Um, yeah, I think the whole crew is really good. I also love Jamie Denbo as Maggie, uh, the attorney, which I read was kind of a play on Harper in that uh, Harper got his cases from his lawyer, but we switched it up. We made it a, a woman and a pregnant woman, but that was really kind of a cool twist. I also love uh, Rockman Dunbar as Detective Mark Gustafson, a uh, black actor with the Swedish name. Perfect. And he is really good. Uh, I, his evolving relationship with Hank and how hurt he is and how uh, there's still so much pain there in the first episode. And then the arc that those two go on for the series is really moving, I think. Yeah, it's quite good. Hank's, uh, Hank's a character with a lot of exes, ex-wife, yeah. and ex-partner, um, you know, ex-family members, um, and he's kind of started over with Brit and he's starting a, a new life. And, and a lot of the dynamics of the show are his old life and his new life uh, bumping into each other. And, you know, what, uh, you know, what there's a, there's most of the people in his old life are, are happy for him that he's moving on and he's starting something like they don't hate him but there is a little resentment there. Sometimes there is a little, you know, there, there's very, they're very cautious to uh, embrace, embrace, you know, they, they, they feel for the people that, Mm -hmm. yeah, they feel for Brit, for Katie, for new people who are starting to depend on Hank. And Mm -hmm. um, they, they have a, you know, uh, they want things to work out, but they're a little, uh, a little wary. They're not, not going to buy into it uh, right away. Uh, you mentioned Rockman Dunbar, and I do think he was a fantastic element yes. uh, to the show. Both, um, it, it is a more complex uh, relationship that he and Hank have than I think your average ex-partner um, mm-hmm. in one of these uh, one of these stories. Um, uh, the the reveals on on how you know Hank became an ex-cop. Um, and an ex drunk, um, fascinating, you yeah. know, is, is, is really nicely handled. Um, but yeah, he, he's, he's huge on, uh, uh, selling that on, um, you know, his, his legitimate kind of frustration and outrage with Hank, uh, mixed with his, um, you know, he, he's, he's I family. Like the, yeah, he is. And he he makes some sacrifices uh, for Hank mm-hmm. throughout the show that, uh, you know, usually those those uh, ex ex relationships with, a uh, you know, when your ex are police loaded. partner yeah. are very uh, well, they're also usually pretty strictly adversarial. Um, mm-hmm. And this one um, this one really does a nice job of uh, of being multifaceted. 
Uh, Rockman Dunbar is actually one of the only other um, cast members that I knew going in. Um, I'd seen him on, uh, I think I watched, I watched all of Prison Break. And uh, that was a fun, goofy show. But um, uh, I don't, I, yeah, I don't know him from a lot of other things. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kiss, Kiss, Bang, Bang comes to mind. But um, yeah, I recognized him from some of his character parts. I only uh-huh. watched a little bit of Prison Break. Um, yeah, yeah. You're better than me. Is that what you're saying? No, not at all. No, I should probably <laughs> go back and rewatch because it, it was you, pretty You really fun. don't. It, you really it was don't fun. Have to. It's 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 so so ridiculous. You okay. can you can watch uh watch Terriers again. But uh okay. the sure. Ben Zeitlin character, the Lara Ross uh character, oh my goodness. Jason yes. Adler. I recognized all those performers and you yep. know, and then Lauren some Dean who, from Mumford for me. Yeah. Yeah, who were uh, you know, some of the uh the folks who came in it just one episode apiece too, I knew I'd know, but but the most of the supporting cast, the the Gretchen and and um, Maggie Katie, and yeah. Katie and uh, Burke and you know I didn't know Mm-mm. didn't know them, um, but yeah they were so so great and I've not really seen them I I, I don't know I mean, they probably work in te- television I mean they should based on on this uh, yeah. example but I frankly i guess i just don't i don't watch a lot of television and i don't either watching yeah. movies so um i i would assume that they're having good careers uh they certainly deserve to be they very uh, much do yeah i also get the feeling that uh that most of the people associated with this show consider it a highlight uh a pinnacle of their, yeah of their i kept coming career. across that in my research yeah. Yeah. Well, um, Donald Logue, I guess after it was canceled, he, I think in an interview with Rolling Stone, he said, I felt like they punched my ticket and he left Hollywood. He went to Oregon, uh, got his 18 wheeler trucking license and started wow. a business trucking. He still has that business and he has another business with hardwoods. Uh, they make really beautiful like coffee tables and stuff like that. It's all over his social Uh, So he still has these side businesses. Uh, Thank goodness he didn't retire from acting completely. But I know he's very personally proud and invested and wrapped up in the show and the Hank character, which had a lot of him in it. Uh, So I know he was a bit heartbroken when um, the series ended and other people as well. They, you know, in interviews repeatedly will say uh, the thing I'm proudest of or that really was my creative pinnacle was terriers and it's it's really good to see but once we think we've wrapped up that gosney lindis case about midway through the first season terriers began to build on its b and c plots with the story of hank and gretchen Britt and katie hank and steph gretchen and jason hank and his old partner on the force mark rockman dunbar Britt and his old b and e partner ray and more. It's a story about partners and duos and relationships, as Jed was saying, while also incorporating more of a Columbo-like case of the week series style for a few episodes. Such stories midway through involve a dying woman's missing ring and cheating husband. It also goes to an amnesiac college student, a cartel kidnapping that takes a handful of our characters over the border and an adventure that feels like something out of a Western almost. 
and a trans sex worker's search for what happened to their friend. We'd encountered this approach a bit earlier in Terriers in the Outstanding Change Partners episode involving Olivia Williams as a woman with a masochistic husband. And I really dig the way that these unusual installments made us see and appreciate our characters in new lights. So Jed, what did you think of these episodes and the shift away from the Linda's plot and the way that it widened Terrier's scope? Well, I the one of the reasons I don't watch a lot of crime TV or TV in general um, mm-hmm. is I know that there's that a lot of people who like TV like that sort of comforting in and out of uh, yeah in and out of uh, a plot in an episode. Um, you know, they, the 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 main characters are sort of they don't really change. They're just uh, they're the constants dropped into a bunch of new and interesting stories. And, uh, you know, no problem. If that's your thing, that's generally not my thing. I think in those situations, you've often got stories that are a lot more interesting than your main characters. And, uh, and that's a weakness, uh, for me, um, for a mm-hmm. lot of procedurals, um, you, you know, you, like I said, you drop these kind of never changing characters yeah. into wildly changing, interesting, involving stories. Like, well, I'd really much rather focus on those characters in the interesting yeah. story. But, um, mm-hmm. but Terriers did great groundwork in uh, making the main characters interesting and evolving. Mm-hmm. And so when they do have these, you know, they're in and out of, uh, cases in you know per episode uh there was never a drop in um there was never a stopping of forward momentum for uh the evolution of the characters the evolution of the the larger plots you know i if you look at it i think most of the cases of the week uh don't come in until five to ten minutes into an episode and yeah. there's usually five or 10 minutes left at the end of an episode, you know, that they've wrapped, wrapped up the sort of, you know, even when it's like a big action climax uh, mm-hmm. that's wrapped up, you know, and there's 10 minutes left in the show or five minutes left in the show in which um, there's another good beat or two of, of personal dynamics explored and yeah. uh, you know, things like that, that, you know, I, I like it. I, I do think that, um, you know, if if you compare it to, uh, I think Justified came out about the same time on FX, and it kind of did an opposite uh, thing where it started off being, um, you know, it was by design that it started mm-hmm. off being episodic, uh, and they they got about four or five episodes into that first season before they started making it more serialized, and uh, you know, I yeah. think it got better as it was more serialized. Um, but they, I think, wanted to not have people uh, feel like they had to do a lot of catch up um, to uh, to jump into the show, which, you know, maybe that's why Terriers didn't uh, didn't take off for for people. Maybe they, they felt like there was too much to catch up on um, okay. before they could go forward. But uh, but I loved it. And I do love the the stories that they decided to tell that were wrapped up in one uh you know one episode um 
but I do think that, you know, like that changing partners episode um, where he's involved with the, you know, again, he's trying to get not money, but well, sort of money, but a loan. He's trying to get a loan from a bank officer and by doing a a favor for him. Yes. And uh, it gets him wrapped up in this, uh, this bizarre infidelity case. Um, But rather than it being just a, a bizarre story, it's it's absolutely giving us lots of insight into who Hank is mm-hmm. information that we'll carry into later episodes. And the, the episode, uh, the other one you mentioned where um, uh, Brit is out on his own, Hank's kind of sidelined with an injury and Brit's uh, uh, looking into a case. He's trying to get money back from a prostitute who ran out on a, uh, a kid who'd uh, saved up all his money to, uh, yeah, to have an experience with this prostitute he didn't realize uh, was trans. And um, mm-hmm. the, uh, uh, the, the prostitute uh, ends up hiring, uh, hiring Hank to do uh, some more work or for Brit. her. Yeah. And it's, or, I'm sorry, Brit. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, but again, even though that storyline uh, is a interesting on its own and B wrapped up, uh, you take all the information from it because it's really very much about Brit and what drives him and what, um, you know, what he's, he's kind of exploring his own, you know, uh, investigative skills, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, rather than just following Hank's lead, he's, he's trying to see, you know, what are his instincts and he starts to really have, a um, uh, more confidence in in himself that maybe this is something he could do uh make a life out of um but yeah those stories are all about evolving the main characters and you take you take every one of them and you build on it uh episode by episode so i had no problem with the episode of the week or you know case i agree i don't want to say crimes because again these are not crime solvers generally (laughs) mostly they're uh problem solvers so yeah yeah a quick problem i like that you brought up um brit kind of coming into his own a little more as hank is sidelined i think that was a really strong episode he even has the line like you know hank is the brains of the operation so you can see how he kind of thinks of himself and he relies on hank and i think it's good to see brit realize hey i actually bring a lot to of this team as well. I think that is a vital episode. Change Partners, I thought was a really good one for a lot of reasons. Um, the, you know, it's an episode, a case of the week episode, sure, but it absolutely ties into the bigger plot, not only with the bank loan officer, which, you know, winds up in a horrifying twist at the end, but it also makes you wonder about these characters as being somewhat masochistic as well, especially Hank buying his old house back uh, from Gretchen, mm. who is going to marry somebody else. So he's like living in the shrine of his failed marriage and his past failures. Um, and, you know, he's still deeply in love with Gretchen. You see the pain in Donald's eyes. He has like these oceans of, you know, empathy and pain going in his eyes whenever he has a scene, especially with uh, Gretchen. And I think one of the defining moments of the series for Hank 
is when she gives them an out. She comes back with the, are you sure you want to buy this? And there is some sort of buyer's remorse law that you can't do anything, but you have a few days to come back and say, you know, I don't want to live there. And after she leaves, he takes a sledgehammer to the wall and, uh, you know, voids that out. But it's also the wall that she was hoping would be removed uh, and to help the flow of the property. And he never did it. And I feel like it's very heartbreaking. And it also just reveals so much about Hank. And that was at the end of the previous episode, but then following it up with change partners kind of deepens that and makes you wonder about what we just saw in Dog and Pony. So I agree with you. I think these case of the week episodes build on their characters and some of the things that we've seen and they do it in a very natural way. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's, why wasn't, why wasn't it a, why wasn't it a hit show, yes right <laughs> i know do you have a favorite episode overall you know I, every time i watch it i watch it straight through and they kind of <laughs> they blur some of the episodic breaks um uh blur for me i do love i did love um i think it was just the second episode um dog and pony where, is great yeah where they they uh they start off by uh, shaking down. They they've made some money at the end of the first episode, which is uh, immediately thrown away carelessly, impulsively into this uh, this house that Hank wants to buy back, um, and contentiously too. Brett uh, Brett feels uh, that uh, Hank's he took his money, you know, yeah. took his money, and that money would change Brett's life absolutely. So um, it's great, but. Then that the check that <laughs> that money was is uh, now evidence uh, and taken from them, and the 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 rich man who uh, who paid it to them uh, now his assets are frozen, um, and they you know it's it's pretty much worthless. So now they start off getting you know wildly ahead in money, then making commitments with that money then having that money disappear. So the, the second episode starts and they are in great, uh, you know, in really bad financial yes, uh, straits. straits. <laughs> and uh, so they, they hustle. Hank uh, abuses his knowledge of um, the way the police uh, operate um, to, to get a peek at some, um, uh, at some skip trace possibilities. And they, they, find this guy uh that that they he thinks he might have a, a way to to shake this fugitive uh loose and 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 collect some uh, reward money on and the, the fortune uh, teller oh my yeah, god yeah so they they shake down this uh this fugitive's fortune teller uh girlfriend in the most uh hilarious way possible <laughs> tell him joey yeah and the <laughs> look on brit's face like oh shit what do i say yeah i mean the that? way they improvise off each other yeah, i mean that that uh that that hank throws brit into some you know hot water constantly but brit always rises to the occasion um uh, but the the twists that 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 takes that episode takes on you know where your sympathies lie where you know what the nature of the crime is again a very fascinating relationship 
um, both a familial one and a romantic one um, in the supporting cast in that uh, that episode are, are really strong and and greatly uh, you know demonstrate what's what's to come from the rest of the series. So right off the bat, I uh, had uh, one of my favorite case of the week uh, type episodes. Um, I agree with you, and it really makes you think about your own. Um you know, internal prejudices, you see this giant hulk of a man that the Mm -hmm. police are looking for, and you think he's the bad one, and then you find you're wrong. And it also kind of sets that up for the series. Like, sometimes your first instincts are wrong. Uh, Police kind of go by those instincts. And I think that was a really good one. I also like the line in that episode uh, from Ray, you know, I'm a dick, not an asshole. Uh, because I feel like that's kind of a recurring theme as well, like which mm-hmm. people are just kind of dickish and then which ones are the assholes you got to look out for. And yeah, I think it's good. Yeah. Did this, this, no, this did not predate uh, Team America, but um, okay. probably learned, learned the, uh, okay. uh, the world is broken into, oh yeah. my God. Yeah. Well, okay. Never mind. Okay. You can excise that joke then. Oh no, you're fine. <laughs> Everybody else will get it and be like, what's Jen's problem? Yeah, no, you're fine. Talking about dog and pony, another aspect that I really liked in it is Katie having to kind of be talked into stitching up or doing a little first aid on the criminal because most crime series, when you meet the girlfriend, they're kind of like, constantly nagging or you know why don't you get a real day-to-day job or you know don't bend the law and stuff like that and it really establishes that katie brings something to the table she's part of the team and you know on the same level with them and i thought that was another important distinction that gets established right away absolutely yeah she really uh she um she gets to surprise them as well as as the audience uh, several times in the series yes. with a reaction to uh to things and because it is a often in my favorite shows even a pretty thankless role, role. I mean, yeah you watch, a wife or girlfriend <laughs> yeah uh, i mean uh, uh i watched sopranos again recently all the way through and i will say carmela's given a lot to do and she really does uh does great stuff but yeah if you talk about uh the shield or breaking bad or um mm-hmm. you know it, even something like dexter where you got your your main character dude who's uh doing really sketchy stuff that the audience is enjoying watching them do even though it's you know morally uh uh <laughs> wrong or at least uh, very uh very dodgy um uh, and then the 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 partner, the romantic partner, is brought in is is usually kind of a real, just a scold. Yeah, <laughs> just, uh, just rains you know, on their parade. Yeah, Mama <laughs> like Berenstein. You know. Yes. No yeah, more sweets after dark. Yeah, especially in too these, much like, TV. Uh, men on a mission stories. Mm-hmm. You know that it was inspired by. I mean. Like the name Dolworth comes from the professionals, the great. That's a know, great grab. That's yeah, that's Lancaster. I'm, I'm impressed. And Good job. And Brit from Magnificent Seven, uh, which I just rewatched last night for the first time in forever, and it's great. 
And, you know, movies like Ocean's Eleven, the original one, which is not a good movie, I will say, but it's a good hangout movie. Guys being guys and planning shit. And the new one is a vast improvement on the original. It doesn't have the Rat Pack, of course, but it's, it's a better film. And so there's not a lot of room usually for the women. And these are peripheral characters, still on Terriers, but they're also really important characters that get factored in in surprising ways. Yeah. Yeah. As uh, uh, I was actually surprised pleasantly by uh, checking the credits and seeing there were actually, yeah, several women in the writer's, writers room, room and who yes. were, you know, cause it's a show that, and it's a genre that I tend to think about it as, and I'm just revealing my own, my own prejudices here. Oh no, it's usually male dominated. Yeah. It's usually four dudes by dudes and, you know, and it, it's, it's, you know, I, yeah, it appeals to me. Um, yeah, but, uh, no. but absolutely. Uh, I've discovered there's a lot of, um, a lot of the fan base is, is female and, and certainly mm-hmm. um, uh, I was pleasantly uh, surprised and I shouldn't be surprised, but I was surprised that, Oh yeah, there were actually several, uh, several women in the, involved in, in the creating of it and I'm sure very key to uh, to keeping the show as good as it was so no I completely agree with you and yeah usually the crime genre and the western genre and I feel like this is a hybrid uh, are pretty male dominated it's funny in real life I've found though that the biggest fans at least that I know of westerns seem to be women like me yeah. there's Priscilla Page couple other uh, writer friends are just huge fans of Westerns in my pandemic movie club with Jed. I'm the sole woman. And I was the one that introduced Westerns into the group. and like, we're watching man of the West when it was my pick. And so I love that. I think it was important that they did have women on the writer staff, but also just uh, this group of writers knew that they wanted the women to have stuff to say. And I think it really pays off. I don't know if it's my favorite per se, but I think the episode that stood out to me the most for many reasons and many of them personal is the remarkable episode 11, Sins of the Past, written by Tim Minear and directed by Tucker Gates, which not only gives us a better understanding of the Hank and Britt backstory and how they met back when Hank was on the force, drinking too much with the marriage unraveling, barely holding it together, But it also deals mainly in the way that men turn sexual jealousy or sexual violence that happens to a partner into their own dramatic quest. Their desire to even the score or right a wrong or get involved might seem on the surface to be a noble thing. Like if he touched you, I'll kill him. Or at least that's the way it's always been doled out to us in fiction, film, poetry, art, the Bible and song. But as In life, uh, in Terriers, actions do have consequences. It's a grueling, unforgettable episode that really holds a mirror to them all. Complex, brilliant. Obviously, the writing and directing are first rate, but more than that, I think this group of actors does some of their best work in Sins of the Past. So what is your take on that one? Yeah, it was a good episode. I love the way it paralleled um, Hanks and Brits. uh, Yeah trajectory and 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 uh you know we spend a lot of the um spend a lot of of energy on worrying for um 
worrying for Britt that Hank's going to kind of lead him into some, uh, some inalterable uh, paths. uh, Yeah. Beyond felony robbery, which he does several times. Um, (laughs) Right. Which he does casually. Um, (laughs) But, uh, but this one also highlights that, that Hank's really got reasons um, for, for steering Brit the way he does uh, that are good that yeah. um, he's, he's, he's trying to keep Brit from making the same mistakes that he made. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, I think it's interesting too. Um, I don't remember if the revelation, it was probably in an earlier episode, but uh, it, there's a, a, there's advice that that he's giving um, to Katie, Katie. About how yes. to, to deal with with Brit in a situation, and he tells he tells Katie, you know, lie about it. Do not tell Brit the truth about uh, this situation. If you love him, cover it up, and you'll have to deal with it. You'll have to hold it, and but this will destroy Brit if he finds out. And it's it's counter to uh, the advice he gave someone else in an earlier episode. About and what he does thing. constantly. You know, he said, come clean to your partner, tell them yep. this happens. And right. And, and, and so we're left wondering, you know, has he learned that, mm-hmm. uh, that the kind of honesty that she's kind of having uh, as an impulse will ultimately be destroyed, destructive, uh, or is he giving her bad advice or, you know, I mean, people who get, you know, sucked into Hank's orbit uh, tend to tend to have bad things happen to them. Um, <laughs> you know, not because he is uh, trying to hurt them, but because he, he does, he does hurt them. And um, yeah, uh, I, I, I thought that was an interesting uh, thing to think about. No, it really is. And it goes counter to so much like, you know, him telling Gretchen, I'm still in love with you. I mean, it's all over his face. Every time you see him, you know, but just voicing it. And she's like, I don't know what to do with that. I don't know either. And then later when he train wrecks the wedding or the, I think that's the line the lawyer gives, but uh, by telling her about Lauren Dean's past, not realizing that she already knows. So sometimes he does tell things to people Sometimes with a good intention, I think, um, God, if you know you didn't know that about somebody you were marrying, you would want to know that. So I understood mm-hmm. where that was coming from, even if the motives might have been selfish. Um, but yeah, with Katie, that is an interesting, it runs counter. And it also just shows you his dynamic with Katie and also just how well he knows Brit. And yeah. you see it earlier, too. Like, there's the line when Ray... Uh, crosses the line and contacts Katie at school and then leaves a a cigarette in a glass in their apartment, letting her know that someone has been in there, Um, you know, and we see Brit kind of fly off half cocked for a minute, like, I'm going to kill him. And that comes back. It sort of establishes uh, Brit. That's sort of a character defining like, hey, he's a little bit of a hothead, especially where Katie is concerned. And I think Sins of the Past is excellent. I loved seeing Hank 
in cop mode because one thing that I got a kick out of watching terriers is I grew up around cops, a couple uncles, one worked vice, one um, was a beat cop who had a kind of a corrupt um, department and he gave tickets to people he wasn't supposed to give tickets to or look the other way. And he was sort of run out of there. It was very bad. Uh, the vice guy wound up um, drinking himself to death after he got off the beat. Um, a really good friend of mine was a cop for 20 years and walked away last year uh, because he realized he was angry all the time and he didn't want to do that anymore. And so now he works uh, plumbing, construction, likes being outside, working with his hands. I can see that. I babysat for cops. Uh, so I saw um, some of their the way they brought it home or didn't bring it home. Funny story. I know I've told and I probably told Jed, but my dare officer actually uh, recruited me into babysitting, like called my parents out of the blue. And, uh, you know, Jenny is so smart and, um, you know, she's very responsible and honest. And does she babysit? I think I was 10 at the time. And I just started babysitting. It was very intimidating for my dare officers, uh, kids. So one thing I got a kick out of with Hank is I know when cops are talking to other cops or around the guys or when they're on, they use a voice and they, they have a tone of voice. They have a certain way of speaking, standing, walking. Um, you know, it's like swinging dick city, basically. And Hank never really does that. He's kind of always in casual mode. Like, and I love in Sins of the Past when we see him and he's all... Uh, from being undercover with, you know, Mark, he comes in grubby and he's still kind of in that undercover dirtbag mode or surfer guy mode. And it's sort of like Hank never really adopted the cop persona, but we do see him be a hard ass a little bit in Sins of the Past. So it was a, a good little mix of Hank of the past and Hank of the future. I just think it's a phenomenal episode, the way that it keeps cutting back and forth in time. Yeah. And you're going to be doomed to repeat the same mistakes unless you do some changes in your life. And these guys really have trouble uh, acknowledging that. I'm curious. Um, I've never known, uh, never been close with uh, with cops, but mm -hmm. but for someone, I, I'm just curious. Does uh, you know clearly you you you've been close to people? Uh, yeah. Who, whose lives are, are TV tropes. Um, <laughs> yes. you know, are you, I'm just, I'm, I'm curious how this, these things land with you, whether or not, you know, whether you're talking about corruption or alcoholism or yeah. infidelity or assault, you know, like what purposing those for, you know, light entertainment. Um, you know, what's I, interesting. I don't know though. how you feel. Yeah. How do these things land with you? It depends how they're used. Mm -hmm. um, and I think Terriers, although the show has kind of a comedic tone, the dark undercurrents of addiction and their personalities, I think they're, you know, it's not like, they're not just selling it one way. I think these are complex characters and I respect that. I know if you're talking about how these shows land with uh, actual cops, they have trouble watching cop shows. Um, so I don't know exactly how it would play. Uh, they don't like to watch, you know, these kind of series very much or the ones that I know anyway, or have known in my life. 
Um, and I can see that as somebody who's had like a bunch of medical issues and a bunch of surgeries when I was younger with my back. I hate medical shows. I mean, everybody watched ER for a while anyway, but I don't really get into medical shows. Like I don't want to watch a show in a hospital. So I can see that with cops, but I think with any subject matter, it's just, if you treat these characters as human beings first, it's important. It's not just sort of mining it for um, uh, propaganda mm-hmm. or, you know, either way that they portray cops, just how are you portraying people and the quality of the series? And I think Terriers is an empathetic show and also it paints the dark side of police. And um, yeah, I think overall these are human beings and that makes it good. Yeah. I do like that. uh, uh, That Rockman Dunbar's uh, detective Gustafson is um, he's, he's not, he's not the heavy. He's, He's the cop. He's the man. But he's not, uh, you know, Hank gets so much solved, so many police cases solved, kind of tangential to his ultimate goals. Um, but he does, he, he's able to do that, and Mark isn't, because he's breaking the law, and he's, or yeah. breaking procedure, you know, he's just shattering yeah. procedure and breaking the law, and there's an, uh, so it's, he he gets frustrated several times with Mark, his former partner, who's still a cop, for not getting things done. Or when he's satisfied, when Mark is satisfied with the resolution of a case that, uh, you know, Hank says, no, this, this, that can't be right. That's not right. There's more to it. There's more. And I, I do like that, that Gustafson is portrayed as a uh, not and it, uh, he, he's not a flat character who's always, you know, um, on the macho hard ass. No. Yeah. He's not that. And he's no. not, uh, he's not a dumb cop, but no. he's an overwhelmed cop. He's, he's overwhelmed mm-hmm. with, you know, he, you understand why he's fine letting things, you know, uh, fall as they, as they have, you know, Hank isn't satisfied with the resolution Mark's like, I have got to move on to, you know, <laughs> there's yeah, so much there's on my so plate. Much with bureaucracy. And right. I mean, it also comes back in that episode, uh, Pimp Daddy with Brit and the trans sex worker of them really not giving a shit about solving that case or figuring mm-hmm. it out because they put other people's lives um, on a higher plane of importance and you know people like lindis uh one of the city's uh, favorite sons i think was the word something like that um you know they put those cases in the top of their inbox that's the priority and yeah but mark cares i think uh, we do see him go into um certain modes when he's dealing with suspects or dealing with hank but he's a curious human being and yeah, he's a, he's a great character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, he's, he's limited by, yeah, by he's, being, he's, you know, the straight man, the, yes. the by the books guy who's still, uh, who's not disgraced. <laughs> Hank's no. disgraced and Hank's got nothing to lose uh, by 
you know, they can uh, go steal breaking some the law. And, yeah. Right. You know, he's um, uh, and, and by lying, you know, yes. Mark, Mark understands that Hank is lying to him a lot. Hank is feeding the police details that they couldn't get through legal means. Uh, and he's making up stories about how he got, you know, the information and Mark knows two things. Yeah. Mark knows that he can't, uh, he can't, he, he can't prove that, uh, that Hank, you know, broke the law or, or, you know, cheated or fabricated something. Um, and, and Hank knows exactly how much he can say and, you know, not be, um, not be implicated. Uh, yes. Right. It's uh so Mark's smart, but he also knows he's being manipulated. And, um, you know, sometimes, and, and as we come to find out, there's very good reasons for him to not buy into Hank's, uh, yeah. you know, dissatisfaction with the resolution of things that, that Hank, um, uh, gets a hold of something and and you know, yeah, side of the big picture often and so yeah, because cases could get thrown out. And since in the past we see a scene where somebody had asked for a lawyer and Hank keeps grilling him. But when you talk about uh, telling lies to get what you want, essentially, I mean, police will do that in interrogation rooms all the time. Like, well, I heard from, you know, so-and-so and and, uh, they're just completely making it up to try to get you to talk, essentially. So what we're saying is always get a lawyer, always ask for a lawyer. but don't you talk know, to cops. Yes, yes. Keep the mouth shut. No, I'm just kidding. But when Hank is telling stories, so Mark knows that that's kind of his background. You're going to tell stories. And I do appreciate that. He knows Hank is doing it for the right reasons. And it's like, I don't want to know. And I think that's interesting. Yeah. But having already introduced us to our freelance reporter, Allison Elliott in the aptly named 10th installment, Asunder, which throws everything for our two men off balance. I love the series final episodes and the way that the Gosney case, which started just as a missing person's favor involving a friend's daughter, has since evolved into this huge Alan J. Pakula or Sidney Pollack parallax view or three days of the condor level conspiracy. There are a lot of spoilers to be had here, particularly with what happens to Lauren Dean, charming yet enigmatic character, Jason, who we're continually surprised by from his earliest episode, and it works so well. I feel like by the time you get to episode 10, you're just going to power right through all of them in a blur until you reach the end. So what are your thoughts on these episodes, obviously, aside from Sins of the Past, which we kind of covered? Well, I think it's it's remarkable that that uh, that progress, you know, social progress is the uh, driving factor of so much criminality in our stories. You know, even you, like you talk about Westerns. I mean, uh, you know, that's it's always the the cattleman who wants to get the land for himself and put up fences, yeah. and, you know, or the railroad people who want to, you know, muscle out disregard. the yeah the farmer right the or ranchers. the gold rush or you know yeah it's always this somebody with a dream mm-hmm. of getting big and going and you know uh in noir staples uh like chinatown or la confidential or 
more recently, the nice guys, I think is a great, uh, a great comparison to, uh, the vibe of, um, terriers. Um, yes. Or kiss, kiss, I, bang, I bang, that you Shane like Black. the nice guys, you'll yeah. like, yeah, you'll love, uh, or even uh, like inherent vice, uh, or cutters way. There's like, there's always a big guy cutters way for sure. trying to do stuff, trying mm-hmm. to do stuff that's not even always criminal but it's no. it's so sort of disrespectful to the people uh, who you know the 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 population of uh, nobodies uh, who are going to be affected by uh, yeah. by their big development deals um, that are um, that are driving uh, you know kind of the the main main plots of of a lot of my favorite uh, noirs and uh, and so yeah like water no or the land right. yeah uh or you know putting a, a highway through or a yes. railroad or uh building a, a stadium or you know something like that that seems uh fairly benign from a certain societal perch you know and this overview of eh, let's get rid of this and put this in and let's yes. move this around Pave and, paradise and, put up a parking lot or an right, airport and, or you're yeah. you know an inherent vice where the uh michael k williamson character comes out of prison and he's like my neighborhood's gone i went back <laughs> it's just not there like what happened to it where did it go um it's things just get moved and people are left uh you know with their lives turned upside down um and uh and i like that the terriers involves that um aspect yeah uh, and i'm i'm not even positive that that was a direction they were thinking about going at the start i am so curious yeah we might have to reach out to our terriers <laughs> people uh because i have so many questions uh involving that and how it developed but yeah i'm not sure if that was a direction that they intended to go in, but I love it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and to a, to a lesser degree, even um, Steven Stoderberg's uh, no, uh, no sudden move from, from last year, which is on HBO Ooh, Max. Good call. Yep. You know, that one also hinges on um, big business and something that sounds totally dumb. I love the, uh, uh, the line from that one. Uh, they were going to kill me because of a Cadillac is making a convertible. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it was a misunderstood uh, line of dialogue. Yeah. Right. But, uh, um, but it, it's always progress. <laughs> right. It's always these, these sort of big picture um, things that seem benign or even like uh, progress, but the, the implications filter down to the level of our characters. Um, and and they're uh, they're yeah. outraged and they're uh, they're very motivated and they're scrappy and again terriers is a fantastic title for uh, you know and i think it's cool too because it's like you catch a fish throw it back at a bigger fish a bigger fish a bigger fish mm-hmm. and that's constantly what's happening like essentially it starts out kind of like the the old one with art carney the late show where you know it's your old partner or your old friend the drunk you know you have to follow up on that with mickey gosney 
uh, and then his daughter. And then we're looking for who pulled the trigger, the button man, or who shot the heroine of him. We keep going up. And every time they try to work with like government people or anything like with the law, except for Mark, of course, it just, it goes downhill fast. Like even when they railroad Hank into, well, you hired somebody to cap your uh, ex's new husband, that kind of thing. I, I think it's just, it's brilliant the way that this keeps increasing to sort of white collar San Diego mm-hmm. of the rich. Yeah, this big distrust. I like that you brought up uh, The Late Show, too, because I think Robert Benton is a hugely undervalued uh, undervalued crime he uh, contributor. Yeah. He's, uh, you know, the writer of, uh, of course, Bonnie and Clyde. Mm-hmm. And um, I love Bad Company with Jeff Bridges. Uh, and uh, is it? Is it Hiddleston? Is it Tom Hiddleston in that? Who's because uh, they get to then show down again uh, in uh, the Big Lebowski, uh, which oh, I would also yeah. say is a remake of Cutter's Way. Um, everybody yeah. cites yes. the Big Sleep, but I think it's really Cutter's Way that, that when you the told Big me Lebowski that, it's all I could of. see. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, but uh, uh, you know, up into. Um, uh like the the ice harvest is another recent uh example i think of where he's continuing to contribute twilight which i think is the unofficial yeah yeah the unofficial third harper movie uh with um (laughs) paul newman with paul newman yeah and i mean it brings in james garner you know rockford and marlowe and it brings in gene hackman who was of course harry mosby and, and night moves and you know all this sort of uh great uh detective fiction references throughout that yeah Yeah, robert benton's a big uh undervalued or underpraised uh um contributor to to what you know crime and uh noir films of of the last uh 40 years, 50 years. Another one that I love has nothing to do with Robert Benton, but it does have to do um, with this kind of style and also the distrust of the rich and the person who hires you being shadier than you realize is zero effect, which is one of my Mm -hmm. favorites. I did a podcast on the duality involved in the characters in that movie and Fight Club last year with Noah Gattel, which was a great episode good discussion and yeah i would also say that zero effects also veronica mars for a tv show kind of feels like a sunnier version of this i mean these are both sunshine neo-noirs and the characters here are older they've been through it more than uh, veronica mars but this seems like well it's set and it was shot in the same area uh that it would also be sort of a distant cousin to this i don't watch i've never watched veronica mars but i I keep running into that comparison jed you gotta uh, watch it yes yeah (laughs) i'm I'm curious let me throw throw a question at you i think that terriers is perfect as a one season uh show i wish that it had more seasons but i think Mm -hmm. it's pretty perfect do you have any other one season shows that you feel that way about Oh boy, that is really hard. Um, 
yeah. Well, I think, I mean, I, I think that there's a, there's certainly precedent with like, I think Firefly was that way. Um, if you're yeah, talking about gone great... too soon, I could do that. I don't know about one season, but I would say the okay. British Life on Mars is a phenomenal series. I think there were only two seasons. How many seasons that. did that go? Two? Uh-huh. I believe. Yes. Good Behavior was a great series. Did you ever watch that one? Yeah. No, I didn't. Oh, Michelle that... Dockery. Uh, yeah, was... Blake uh, Crouch. So good. Did that yeah. show, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Freaks and Geeks. Oh, pretty, pretty one. perfect one, one season, you know, canceled, but, uh, but great. There was a really good, uh, Cinemax show a few years ago, uh, adapted very loosely, but adapted or inspired by the, uh, the novels by Max Allen Collins, uh, the quarry novels. There was a, um, a 1970s oh, set show quarry that, uh, I thought was really terrific starring Logan Marshall Green canceled after one season but it's a good season um and logan marshall green's also the star or one of the stars of another one season wonder uh called damnation uh tony toast uh did a show called damnation on i think it was usa but it's available on netflix now uh you can watch it there it's a great labor wars uh western um and uh yeah it very satisfying in in one season though uh yeah of course wish wish there could have been more perfect yes well in my research on terriers and whenever i mention the series i've come across so many questions about the final moments of the show which find hank and brit in a car toying with the idea of taking them either to jail or to mexico an ex-cop with a strong sense of right and wrong who loves his friend unconditionally. I personally can't imagine that Hank is taking Brit anywhere else than directly to jail. And after his tender scene with Katie, where he says he wants to be there for her and the baby when he gets out, I can't imagine this more mature version of Brit wanting to do anything else than stay true to his word. I feel like these lines are meant as sort of a last ditch hapless joke that you make or something like kid. Next time I say, let's go someplace like Bolivia, let's go someplace (laughs) like Bolivia and Butch Cassidy or in my own life, for example, having had a bunch of spine surgeries, my parents would joke sometimes right before, like, let's just not show up and go to Disney world or something. Just to make me laugh, obviously knowing they don't mean it still. I know we're going to get asked here, Jed. So I knew we had to address it. What do you think? Is Hank taking Brit to jail or are they drunk right now on a beach somewhere in Mexico? Uh, no, I, I agree with you. I think that that he's he's going to jail. It reminded me a lot of the uh, uh, the end of the 25th hour uh, where Brian oh, Cox is taking, you know, yeah. um, uh, Ed Norton there. And, and I think that one, there's more ambiguity about it. Um, but I do think that the characters, if you look at the arc, the characters are on, it is one of growing, of re- taking responsibility. Yeah, growing of, up. Um, you know, not being so impulsive. Of uh, So, yeah, it's kind of a nice little tag. It's a nice way to end the season uh, and, unfortunately, the series. But mm-hmm. uh, it wasn't really full of suspense for me. I think, uh, yeah, I think me neither. that they, they're definitely looking at the, what probably one to two year uh, yes. stretch as completely doable. And Brit's 
made it clear that he's invested in the future of his relationship. Uh, with yeah. So yeah, I, I do think, um, I, I don't think it's really, uh, a, a question. I don't think it's a question no. I got to think about. Yeah. Hard. Not too long. I know. I, I always mention, Oh, I'm watching the show and then I'll get people asked, but what happened at the end? And I'm like, are you serious? <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I know both of us are rooting for a Terrier's return or at least a movie like they did with Veronica Mars, The Sopranos or Ray Donovan, how they could even make several standalone mystery movies like they did with Columbo after its initial run. That would be incredible. So what would you like to see happen, Jed, if, as I've heard occasionally discussed and in some format, they bring back this series? First thing they call you, right? First yeah. they do. Yeah. Yes. I'm, I'm available guys i mean yeah i'll, I'll come right for you uh or jump I'll on my podcast let's, yeah. let's hang yeah if there's anything that's gonna make me write again right um yes but uh man, fingers I, crossed do it for jed yeah <laughs> <laughs> i love it uh i would obviously want more would love to have more um and i'm I'm confident in the the people involved that they wouldn't do it if it weren't unless, gonna live up to yes. uh, yeah, unless they we're gonna hit those um uh, uh those high standards. Um because I'd frankly rather have it just as left a good at, memory. Yeah. As it is than have it have it come back and, and not be great. Um mm -hmm. the generic version or something. Right. Yeah. Uh the, the catching it in last yeah. few seasons of you know whatever your long running favorite uh is. Uh but no, absolutely. I'd I'd love to see it. Like I said, I'd even take I'd take uh, some tie-in novels or mm -hmm. um and you know, they don't have to be uh, they don't have to be huge uh, things. These need to be dime paperbacks, you know, pulps uh, that are, you know, 150 to 200 pages max. And, uh, and you can spit out three or four uh, yes. a year, probably. Yeah. That would yeah. Be great. Ask your agent to look into that and pitch one. Yes. <laughs> Standalone. <laughs> kind of like those novelizations I used to love uh -huh. reading in the late 80s, early 90s. Yes, that our buddies, uh, Travis Woods and Kate Gabrielle collect right now, the old movie novelizations, can just write some spinoffs that feel like that. I think that would be fun. But since you're always so great with recommendations, I? I mean, after all, you were the one who recommended Terriers in the first place. What are some other movies or shows that you'd like to recommend that people listening should be sure to check out? And what about anything also for fans of the cast and crew? Just any recommendations? Man, um, well, I do think if you like if you like Terriers, uh, then you probably are already familiar with you know uh, the work of Shane Black, mm -hmm. of Walter Hill of uh you know tv shows peter hyams actually did several uh sort of uh, buddy crime stuff running scared with gregory hines and uh yes and, uh, uh, billy crystal is a favorite of mine busting with robert blake and and elliot gould um he did he did that stuff well too um tv shows like simon and simon which also had Oh, I remember the other that. Greatest, 
yes. greatest uh, theme song uh, to a, a scrappy PI uh, TV show. Um, Midnight Run. Have you ever heard of this movie, Midnight Run? Uh, it's uh, one you might like. You've it's yes. got your, your boy in it. So my, uh, my boyfriend, Robert De Niro. Yes. Yeah. No, so, for those listening who aren't aware, Jed is kidding because he's my favorite actor. <laughs> and I was like that girl in sixth grade with a crush on De Niro instead of Jason Priestley. But um, Blake Howard and I are going to launch a midnight run series podcast, just like a dozen episodes in the spring. And Jed is absolutely right. This does have that great sort of buddy feel that midnight run has sort of a crime Western. Yeah. Yeah. And I do think that Terriers is special in that. I mean, uh, you know, I mentioned uh, Walter Hill, who's, you know, done 48 hours and red heat and, uh, movies like that that I think of as being buddy cop, but those movies and and a lot of the others that I I've talked about, they're often really about adversaries thrown together. You know, um, where Terriers is actually about buddies, and and I love that. And they're yes. they're uh, they're the highest level of antagonism. They get you know they they are ball busters. They constantly bust balls. Yeah, but, uh, but it's it's always good spirited um there's a few things Which that i would very recommend refreshing yeah yeah a few things i'd recommend if people like this uh in books um okay, i great. think of i think terriers is adjacent to surf noir uh, yeah it's, love there's surf no surfing noir. in terriers but uh you know if, if you like terriers um uh, you know, you might like the uh, early novels. Yeah, of, uh, Charlie Winslow. don't surf. Pink doesn't surf. Yep. <laughs> mm-hmm. Or uh, California Fire and Life, or something like that, by Don Winslow. Um, okay. Uh, the Mexicali set uh, uh, books of uh, Johnny Shaw. Um, okay. He's got a series uh, called the Jimmy Veter fiascos. He doesn't call them mysteries or whatever he calls them, fiascos. Um, those How are really do you good. spell the, the last name, just so people are aware? Uh, Johnny Shaw, S-H-A-W. Oh, no, He's the on Veter, you said? Veter, V-E-E-D-E-R. Okay, perfect. Uh, yeah, the first one's called Dove Season. Okay. Um, and they're, yeah, they're great sort of, uh, you know, loose, scrappy, fuck-up, character-driven uh fiascos uh crime right stories, on. Uh, yeah. with with some heart uh that reminds me of two like the joe lansdale's happen leonard novels uh or even uh if you want to go to the other other coast uh there's some boston set books by todd robinson uh called uh his characters are boo and junior but um they're you know these 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 boston guys who who uh who you know they drink too much and they're tattooed bouncers but they get involved mm-hmm. doing some doing some uh doing some work and and busting each other's balls and it's they're a lot of yeah fun. who doesn't love that exactly well i really appreciate you doing this jed it's been so much fun are there any yeah. other thoughts things we didn't get to about the series that you want to make sure you get across because i know you were taking notes and watching a million movies i love that jed and i love our homework and research yes yeah, I'd, uh, I'm sure I'm going to think of a half dozen things that I should have said as soon as we end this uh, call. But, yes. you know, 
that's for part if, two. No, I'm just kidding. Right, but if 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 we haven't sold you on terriers by now, then uh, none yeah, of those other things are going to either. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. it's just one it, of my favorite everyone. things. I come back. It you know I I I don't think of it as my favorite TV show of all time. Uh, but by now I've probably watched it more than any other show. Um, gotcha. Uh, maybe I've watched Twin Peaks more, but, mm -hmm. um, but I've, I've got a lot of shows that I've loved and I've even bought the DVD sets, but. Isn't it funny? And then you don't go back. Rewatched them. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't rewatched them the way I've, I've rewatched Terriers, uh, pretty much yearly for the last, you know, six, seven years. So, yeah. Perfect. Well, Jed, I just want to thank you again for doing this. It was such fun. And thank a lot of fun. You. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thank you also for just recommending it to me in the first place. Yes. I'm the best. <laughs> yes, you are. I really want to thank everyone involved in Terriers, especially Donald Logue, Michael Raymond James, and Ted Griffin for their interest and support when I announced the episode on social media. They were kind enough to give me a follow and or join the Patreon, and I really appreciate it. In case it wasn't obvious, Jed and I love your work, and we hope you enjoyed this episode and we did you guys somewhat justice. So thank you again. I also want to thank everyone for listening, especially my patrons who support the show and help fund my research equipment, film rentals, RSS fees, and more for as little as a dollar per month at the Film Intuition Patreon, which is the home base for the show. Other ways you can support the podcast are by sharing, reviewing, and subscribing to watch with Jen wherever you get your podcasts, and also checking out the cool merch store hosted and created by our talented logo designer, Kate Gabrielle. You can find the merchandise store, including shirts, tote bags, stickers, and more by visiting filmintuition.com and clicking on the shop link. The show's theme music is solo acoustic guitar by Jason Shaw and is available in the free music archive. You can also reach me or interact with Watch With Jen anytime on Twitter, either at Film Intuition or our Watch With Jen account as well. Well, until next time, please take care and happy movie watching. This is Jen Johans at FilmIntuition.com and FilmIntuition on social media and Letterboxd. And this is Watch with Jen.